0: Good afternoon, everyone. Good morning, actually. So our first reading is from the book of Genesis. And I'm sure most people by now at least have heard of John Paul II's Theology of the Body. This passage of Adam encountering Eve is integral to the foundation of this teaching of John Paul II. It came at the beginning of his pontificate, a series of talks that he gave about the meaning of the human body, the meaning of married love, and the meaning of uh, the gift of, or the sacrament of marriage. And this passage, or at least Genesis 2 and 3, sort of act as the foundation for that. And so often when we think about theology of the body, think about this passage from Genesis, we focus on the body in its sexual difference, Adam perceives Eve as similar to him, but realizes that she is different. And John Paul II will say that they understand or come to realize that although there's a unity, there is a difference. And in that difference <clears throat> lies the ability to give of oneself and to receive the gift of the other. That's what John Paul II calls the spousal meaning of the body. But it shows the importance of the body and the meaning of the human body. But what I want to do today is focus on another part of the human body that is integral to this proper understanding of this passage in scripture and to the understanding as a whole of theology of the body, although it's rarely talked about. And the fact is, if we can sort of imagine this scenario in the creation story of Adam encountering Eve for the first time and seeing the similarities with the difference, how does he do it? He doesn't do it through some projection of the mind. He doesn't do it through intuition of the heart. But he does it with his eyes. He sees Eve. He gazes upon her. He contemplates her being, and from the eyes, as organs of the body, he's able to see the unity, but also the difference and the meaning of the body. It's the eyes, and the eyes' ability to see and to perceive, particularly here, another human person, another body that is integral to this understanding of who we are as humans, the theology of the body and our understanding of marriage. So John Paul II will go on to say that in the Garden of Eden, in this creation story before the fall, because they both exist in original innocence, when Adam and Eve see each other with the eyes of the body, they're able to see each other as God sees them and the meaning and the beauty of the body. But after the fall, when grace is lost, although they see each other with their eyes, shame begins to set in. There's a confusion about what the body is meant for, who the other person is. And as a result, that look or that gaze of love becomes possibly the look of lust. And so John Paul II will begin developing that by looking at the Beatitudes of not committing adultery in the heart and how we are called to avoid that look of lust where we use our eyes and look upon another person not as an individual with dignity, but as an object for our own gratification. And that look which comes from the heart, the other person is reduced to an object to be possessed and not a person to be loved. So whether or not we focus on it a lot or John Paul II talks a lot about it, if you don't understand the theology and even as we'll see a biology of the eyes, we're not going to be able to fully understand the theology of the body or the meaning of marriage. Now, I am not a biologist nor am I an ophthalmologist, but I have a basic rudimentary understanding of how the eyes work. We normally talk about seeing something or gazing upon something. It's usually sort of implied that there's a language of going out, that from my eyes, I saw this object that exists outside of me. I was able to contemplate this work of art. I saw that person. But the truth is, that's not how the eyes work biologically. The way the eyes work biologically is not that they're like lasers coming out of our eyes to perceive something outside of us, but instead our eyes receive light. Our eyes receive images that are reflected back into our eyes, like photoreceptors, and then it's connection to the brain, we're able to perceive the totality. The eyes, like the ears, are primarily organs that work by receiving things. And so if we could understand that and pass it to more of a theological or philosophical perspective, it can help us understand what our gaze should be like in looking on someone, particularly a man and a woman looking on each other in the gift of marriage. That we are called to receive the other person in the gaze, A true look of love sees the other person and receives them in their totality, biologically as we should in a more moral or theological stance. But when we lust after someone, even though we may be receiving them biologically, there's something that blocks it morally and spiritually. We're not receiving the other person, we're keeping them at a distance, as an object for us to be able to use, to be able to possess, as an object of loss. And so seeing that, our gaze is called to reflect what we are called to do. John Paul II talks about that spousal meaning in the body. Well, if we're gonna give of ourselves, we also need to be able to receive. And the eyes sort of foreshadow or a microcosm of that receptivity that we ought to have in our bodies. But when we look at theology of the body as a whole, or let's say Catholic sexual ethics, quite often this idea of gift and receptivity and all of the other ideas of openness to life and the dignity of the human person really lay the foundation for a sexual or a moral ethic that deals usually with large acts, the important acts, the union of man and wife, and the use or the gift of the body in marriage. And these are very important, and we have got to be able to make analysis of adultery, of fornication, of contraception, of these different types of things. They're important and they're crucial. But the reality is, from our lived experience, these important acts often, if they're done properly, we're going to say, make up a very small percentage of our married life, a very small percentage of our life as a whole. We use those aspects or those parts of our body, but we do not use them as much as we use our eyes. Our eyes in which we gaze on another person. We see them, we perceive them, we look upon them. The ones who we love, that's done almost every minute and every hour of the day, but very rarely do we come up with some sort of moral system to analyze or to evaluate or understand how we look upon other people. Whenever never ask, am I seeing that other person as an individual? Am I receiving them in love? Am I looking upon them with mercy? Do I even notice them? I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't look at the bigger issues. We need to pay attention to those. But the reality is, it's probably more important for us to focus on the day-to-day use of our eyes and the ways that we perceive things we ought not, that we look upon things that are wasteful, but more importantly, that we do not notice the other person in front of us in love and receive them with our eyes into our hearts. Why is this necessary? Why should we make this evaluation? Well, I think if we go to the final reading, the Gospel, we'll see why. Jesus takes up this passage from Genesis to explain why under the new law, divorce and remarriage is not acceptable. Because of the way it was in the beginning in the sacrament of marriage, it is no longer acceptable. But he brings up the issue of divorce and remarriage, and we all know how painful and how bad this can be. And so often indeed, larger infractions against the sixth commandment, against the theology of the body, can precipitate divorce and the disillusion of a marriage. But the truth is, at least from my own experience, that does not make up as large a percentage as what happens on a daily basis with the use of the eyes. How many times I have heard people come and say, my marriage has fallen or is falling apart because my spouse doesn't see me because we no longer look on the other person with love, kindness, and tenderness. We're often too focused on ourselves. We're focused on other people who are not our spouses. Sometimes these days we are too focused on our phones and on our screens. And as a result, gradually the love breaks down and the marriage falls apart. Pope Francis, in his document of Morris Letizia, writes so beautifully about this, and it's a lengthy quote, but I'm going to give it because it sums it up better than I could. He says, How many things do spouses and children sometimes do in order to be noticed? Much hurt and many problems result when we stop looking at one another. This lies behind the complaints and grievances we often hear in families. My husband does not look at me. He acts as if I were invisible. Please look at me when I'm talking to you. My wife no longer looks at me. She only has eyes for our children. In my own home, nobody cares about me. They do not even see me. It is as if I do not exist. Love opens our eyes and enables us to see beyond all else the great worth of a human being. And so this homily needs to be a reminder to us of how important marriage, in a certain sense, outside of marriage, that gaze is for us to look on other people, to look into their eyes, to recognize them and see them and to receive them with love. Is it easy? No, it's not. So how can we purify our gaze? How can we learn to see again with the eyes of Christ? Well, first of all, I think it just takes some self-awareness. That's the basic thing. Where are we looking during the course of the day? In fact, it's interesting. The new iPhone update has something that will tell you each day over the previous day how much screen time you had, how much time you spent looking at your phone. In our own lives, we can see how much time we spend looking at other things and even more, not looking on the people in front of us with love. But as Catholics, we have the greatest gift for purifying our gaze, And that is the gift of Eucharistic adoration, where in the eyes of faith, we set our eyes, our human eyes, on the body of Jesus there in the Eucharist to be able to spend some time in front of Eucharistic adoration, whether we offer it during the day here or we go to the different chapels around town, where we receive Jesus with our eyes, knowing that he too looks upon us and receives us. And this act of prayerful contemplation. You don't need to say anything. You don't need to necessarily think anything. You just need to look, to contemplate, adore, and receive the Lord, and allow Him to receive us. And so what this does is, over time, purifies our vision. And as we see the Lord, we are better able, once we leave adoration and prayer and contemplation, to be able to see and perceive others. This is the key of what we receive with our sight and into our bodies that we are called to give to others. And so I'll wrap it up with a quote from Cardinal Ratzinger talking about this call to conversion that people have and what ultimately lies at the heart of that call to conversion of sin. That we give up sin so that we become persons who are received and receiving. So that as receivers they might give and thus a light might go on in a dark world. When we learn to receive Christ and receive others with our sight and love, then we're able to better reflect back to others the light and the love that Christ has shown us. Amen.